Any questions tonight? topic, but um, I'll try to be brief. And um, the idea, first, I think that's important to understand is that the Godhead in any form as Bhagavan, Paramatma, Brahman, Swayam Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, they are all transcendental to material nature. And so they are not privy to the direct experience of the suffering and and uh, enjoyment of material existence. They have no experience of it. That is all um, an influence of the Maya Shakti. And God, it is transcendent to the Maya Shakti. If the Godhead were subject to the experience of material suffering and enjoyment, then uh, he wouldn't be in a position to be the savior of those of us who are under this influence which arises out of ignorance. So it's important to underscore the uh, transcendence of the Godhead in terms of um, our salvation, which comes from beyond our present condition. In our present condition of imperfection, we need the ingress of perfection. So the problem now, that we've just made a point that's fairly easy to digest, the problem then that arises theologically is that having distanced God from the world of our experience as we have for all the good reasons mentioned. Um, there are more, but I'm being brief. Um, what impetus does he have to be involved with us at all? He's not privy to our experience. Hmm? Um, and with regard to compassion in particular, then it's... Um, much more easy, let's say, to be compassionate to someone with regard to their condition if you have direct experience of the condition. So he doesn't. Um, that said, um, he does have indirect knowledge, or knowledge, I should say, of uh, about the nature of our condition. And um, so, 
as much as that could be an impetus for God's compassion for the suffering of people in the world um, is as much as he's driven by the plight of the Bhattajiva. It's not very much, because what he is driven by and his, and his entire emotional life derives from is his relationship with his devotees. So he has a very, very rich emotional life under the influence of his Swarup Shakti. If you don't have this Swarup Shakti in the picture, a lot of theologies don't, so that it becomes problematic because God is aloof. He has no material emotions of the happiness and stress of ours. Um, but he has no, that, those being the only emotions, if you will. What's his emotional life like? He's kind of like a stone. Right? Um, but with the Srupa Shakti, he has a very, very rich emotional life that our material emotional life is kind of a reflection of. So it's a nice um, aspect, feature of Gaudiya Vaishnava theology that it enables God to have this, God has this very rich emotional life and, and um, someone desirable, therefore, to associate with. Hmm? To someone that you can get really close to. So it's a real... Um, point to underscore Gaudiya Vaishnava what makes Krishna attractive is his, is his attraction to his devotees which is where his emotional life uh, derives from so he's not being driven by um, the uh, hunger of the world by the um, wars of the world by the um, factory farms of the world. That's not driving him. That's not his emotional life. Hmm? He knows the mechanism behind all these forms of suffering, its ignorance and so forth and so on. But to give an example I've given before, we're human beings. It's, it's a relative limited analogy, but we know we know that bugs suffer, at least we think they do. It doesn't look very good when they smash on our windshield. Hmm? But it's not like we're stopping the car and getting out, you know, and having a funeral or starting a campaign. It may come, I don't know, <laughs> for, you know, save the bugs. Hmm? So, you know, a Jane idea or maybe a vegan idea is something along these lines is cause as little harm as possible. But that as little as harm as possible makes the whole thing very relative because what you think is possible depends on your values, the larger picture of the life that you live in. And somebody might say, how can you possibly drive a car? Hmm? Well, come on, I have to drive. No, you don't have to drive a car. You didn't. If you were really compassionate, you wouldn't drive a car. I mean, I think somebody could make an argument how that is playing into the whole industrial society and blah, 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 and you know, everywhere it goes. So everybody's drawing the line 
somewhere is, is, is the point. We're fortunate to have a philosophy and a theology that is a much larger picture in which themes like nonviolence, um, compassion, um, uh, service, and so forth are included. You may find them in a philosophy like, like Jainism where they're wearing a mask so they don't breathe any bugs. You've seen that. So uh, veganism is, you know, sometimes a little harsh on, on uh, moralizing towards towards us, but it's it tends to be because it's it's a smaller picture. It doesn't have a theology. It doesn't have a, a transcendent feature to its whole picture, and 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 incidentally, of course. Uh, uh, that's not something to trivial, trivialize. Trivialize the difference between the moral and the transcendent realm by saying, "Oh yeah, these devotees are transcendental." You know, "Oh yeah, right," and you know they're here in the world. It's a, it's they may not be very transcendental, some of them, but they're living in a worldview in which that is very much part of it, and and and. And in the context of that larger worldview, they're nonviolent. They do service to God, and in some respects to humanity, obviously as well. Um, so it's a—it's not something to trivialize. Otherwise, you you end up trying to find the, you know, the capital good inside of the small good, and that becomes, from the bhakti perspective, if your bhakti is like that. In other words, if your bhakti is too much preoccupied with the moral realm, that it's starting to define the good of the Godhead in relation to my moral determinations of what is good. I'm starting to make my sense of the moral good, what the capital G good constitutes. And that's a big mistake. Now you've got, in the context of bhakti, you've got bhakti karma anavritam, covered by karma, where you think that unless I act in this way, particular way, morally, my, my bhakti will be you know, encumbered. There may be some bhakti, some morality within bhakti, within the angas of bhakti, we live a moral life and so on and so forth. But the realm of karma and the transcendent realm, they're they're really two different realms. And they they do join to some extent and they do depart to some extent. Hmm. So, I think God wouldn't want this. Hmm. Because I don't think it's good and inside of a smaller worldview, well, you know, there's a whole bigger picture that's not being taken into consideration. So, but unless somebody has some really deeper sense of that, then then the moral good is going to prevail in their sensibilities, which as I've said and many times, and I just pointed it out here as well, I think is a realm where you can't arrive at a perfect good. The moral quandaries are, are, you know, you can be really sure about about something um, is, but, but it's very hard to find an absolute. 
within morals. They're the moral world. They're they're always extenuating circumstances, and, and things change as well. And uh, um, uh, you know, somebody was talking about not uh, you shouldn't take cows from a dairy unless they're cows that are not in milk, because then if you save cows that are in milk because you want to drink milk, which is bad for you and it's bad for your health, which is an opinion, okay, it's not my opinion, but it's some people's opinion, then, which is relative, you know, it's just nothing like, you know, getting on the altar or on the podium and, you know, giving the absolutes about what's healthy to eat. The fact is everybody's different, everybody's composition is different and so forth, and there may be some general principles, but who, but anyway, it's very relative. So, if you're absolutely sure that milk is bad to drink, you bring into question then the whole concept of domestic animals with regard to cows, or let's say goats. Hmm? I think there's a real big place in the world for domestication of animals, and I think there's a really complementary relationship if done properly between humans and animals, where they both learn, gain from one another, and learn from one another hmm? as well. And this is, of course, the example of Krishna Leela. So if you want to, you know, mandate that milk is is bad for your health, you know, tell it to Krishna. <laughs> um, I don't personally agree with that, but that may help to drive your engine, and somebody was saying, well, you know, you, if you take a cow from the dairy because you're addicted to milk, you know, and, and, and the, on the pretext, more or less, saying, of saving them, you know, if you really wanted to save them, why didn't you take a sick old cow that was about ready to get slaughtered? Hmm? Well, again, because we're not vegan, <laughs> vegans, we do drink milk, we think milk is good for you. Hmm? And what are we supposed to do, find a cow in the woods? Where do you get them from, you know? If I don't get one from a dairy, where am I supposed to get one? Hmm? If I get a dry one, and I and I believe that milk is good for me, and I believe that cows like to give milk, and I believe that cows like to have calves, then what do I do? Then I've got to go find a bull somewhere. I've got to find a wild bull now. Hmm? You know, I've got to bring them together, and I've got to mate them, and then you're perpetuating, the, you know, by breeding, they're against that too, right? So. Okay, it's a different philosophy, you know, I mean, we respect, you're trying to do good, you have good intentions, you want to be compassionate and nonviolent. We're doing so in the context of a larger um, world view. Hmm? And, um, you know, like here at Star Drive, we've got nine cows. Five of them are not milking, and four of them are. Hmm? And you can say, you, you, if you were really compassionate, you wouldn't have taken them from the dairy but we did get our cows that are milking from the dairy when they were in milk. I don't know, they were three, four months into their lactation. <laughs> you know, you could have to find a Gary that's willing to even sell the cow and so forth. So, fine, you know, you think that, that you would have done, you, someone may think they may have done more for the cause of um, being kind to cows, let's say. Hmm? How we're talking about it now. Um, by just not eating milk or any milk products. Hmm? You know, well, tell it to you know, tell it to Ujjwala. Hmm? <laughs> tell it to the Mangala. You know, I don't know if they agree with you because if I agreed with you, they'd be dead right now. Hmm? 
So um, I don't think they'll agree with you, and I don't agree with that. And and, and we have a very nice situation for the cows who are taking care of them. And in another way, we set an example. We set an example, too. People could have a cow. People should have some land. They should have a cow. Hmm? And uh, so let, let more people in western North Carolina see this idea and see how they could have their own milk. If they don't, they could have a little more. They could share with neighbors and make a little income from themselves, have cottage industry, and each pe- people taking care of cows here and there. And when you get married, you can give a cow, you know, so you don't have to get it from the dairy, but then you breed it. But, you know, so you start it. There's an idea of starting a different culture, an agrarian culture. I mean, you know, where are you going to go with it all? You know, fine, but by campaigning and um, so forth for a vegan world and so forth, it's 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 got huge, larger issues, even... You know, it's, it's, it's part of the larger issue of you, can't, you step down here, as I say, it's going to go up here. It's the moral world. It, it's the material world. Hmm? So, um, that said, as I'm saying, I kind of got off on a tangent, but God's, what's not driving Krishna's engine is the various sufferings and joys of the material world. Hmm? The happiness that we create by something that we do materially doesn't do anything for Krishna. Hmm? It's just the other side of suffering. So you save all the plants and trees and, you know, stop it. I mean, I'm for that, but I understand that I'm not going to give my whole life to that because it's, 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 not, going to, it's not a comprehensive approach to the problem. Hmm? You know, I suggested this one person... You, know, you might think, maybe you've already thought of it, but you might think, stop, maybe you should stop eating vegetables that have been grown with the help of animal manure. Problem. You, you might end up pretty hungry here after we keep going. We keep looking at it from every, every angle. I mean, you have to kill to live. So, I mean, yes, you have to, and then you have to draw the line somewhere. So you're going to draw the line within the context of your worldview. Hmm? And there's more to being compassionate, for example, to an animal than, than saving its life. Well, we should try to do that, too, we, when we do, as much as we can. We've spent thousands of dollars here to have pastures, to turn forests into pastures, to build barns, to um, and, and, and produce feed, and, and, we, and, and to buy feed, and to provide medical treatment and so forth for these cows. Um, and so, you know, you're shopping at Whole Foods, you know, and, and not and eating almond, drinking almond milk, you know, and um, moralizing that we, 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 we don't, you know, we're part of the problem. I just really don't agree with that. But at any rate, <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good thing. People do what they're going to do and, what, and think what they're going to think. And within the context of their ability to look at the problems, they try to do the best thing. I respect the sincerity and so forth. But this is a, this philosophy is a little deeper than a number of people who are involved in it realize what it is, and you can get a real kind of superficial understanding of it and think you know what it means to please please Krishna, and end up going on a campaign, you know, to uh, to uh, you know do away with flypaper or whatever. I mean, I'll use it, but 
or whatever, you know, the, uh, um, where, where are you going to... Uh, now it's, you know, being reported as if we didn't know, but I mean, the scientific community that insects have consciousness and a sense of ego and so forth. You know, now you've got to stop killing insects or whatever, you know. Uh, we're, we're, obviously, somebody draws a line. They think, well, the, the, the you know, the... Uh, the uh, nervous system isn't developed, they can't feel pain as much, and that's the argument for, for eating uh, from the vegetable plant world, right? Less harm and so forth. I mean, I agree with that that argument um, you know, to, to an extent. But at any rate, we're living in the bigger picture. And in that bigger picture, my, my point is, in relative to your question, is that these happies and joys, what we think is a big success and will please Krishna because we just made somebody materially happy, doesn't really do anything for him. Hmm? He has he, he has no experience of the happiness and distress of material life, which is all ignorance. So something else is driving him, and that's called bhakti. And this is this is his internal shakti, and um, and it's and it's so powerful that it completely overwhelms him. The point of Krishna, as the son of Yashoda, as the cowherd friend of Sridham, as the lover of Radha, is means this the power of bhakti, turning God into this. It's like so powerful. He has no time to think about, you know, the fact that insects are suffering. And, and, and now, for ourselves, we know that insects are suffering. I mean, kind of. We 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 can figure it out, kind of like well, all right. Yeah, if we got hit by a car, it might, you know, their bodies are different, but anyway, it must hurt, you know, they died, and so forth. We see it all the time, but it's not driving our lives, right? We've got our own lives, materially speaking, it's not driving. So many things are happening hmm, on so many levels, and it's not driving our life. Well, why, why some things aren't, some, you know, the, the deforestation or factory farms, they're, you know, they're closer to us for different reasons, hmm, and other people have other reasons. You can think your reasons are the best. I hope you do. Otherwise, you know, why are you doing it? But whether they are, you know, there's so much to debate about that. It's all the relative world. And again, you press down here, it comes comes up over there. So, so at any rate, what's driving Krishna is is the, the is, is bhakti, and exactly what bhakti is. Well, it, it's it's not just, you know, a simple word, devotion. Therefore, there's a whole bhakti sandarbha, a whole treatise on bhakti. There's a whole bhakti rasamrita sindhu, Rupa Goswami. There's Narada bhakti sutras. What does bhakti actually constitute? And in the context of that, there's a theological explanation of what is Bhagavan, hmm? the object of bhakti, has to be included. What is the Sarup Shakti that Bhakti is constituted of? It's important to understand these things, so we, we, we talk about them, um, so that we, we can actually be involved in the inner life of God, have some access to it, get, get tuned into it, and then he turn his attention to us and so forth. Hmm? Um, you're going to get a, get a lot of his attention by various material um, campaigns for improving the material condition of people, animals, plants, changing governments, and so on and so forth. They may be noble on some level, and so, but it's just, it's just not like Krishna's, you know, in the arms of Radharani. 
And what does that mean? You, you know, you have to understand that. That's why it's important to understand the scripture because it changes our whole sense of who we are, what we are. I was saying yesterday, the tattva starts to form your swarup. Don't separate the tattva from the bhava. Hmm? It's the ground on which the bhava is, is, is manifesting. Hmm? So you have a certain idea of yourself, what's good, what's bad, what's important, what's not. Scriptures are supposed to hone that in such a way that you come to a different sense of self that you could not have arrived at on your own. That's the purpose of the scripture. We have a mind, we have intelligence to figure out what's good, what's bad, what's the best thing to do, so on. So we can only go so far with that. Hmm? And sometimes the scriptural argument will, 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 will contradict what we think is the best, and you'll think, well, you know, yeah, you talk about transcendence, but meanwhile, what about this? What about that? Hmm? Well, you know, okay, if you don't encourage people to do the things that they do that are good, but if they can't understand what, why we're not involved in them, then they need more eligibility, they need more association, they need more time. Hmm? And it's a pity, but... So, at any rate, it's important to, to understand this about the God. And now, that said, God is compassionate, and all compassion is derived from God, so his devotees are the manifestation of his Kripa Shakti. So through them, they, they share devotion, and, and, and often, you know, they have experience of material suffering, so then actually they're kind-hearted. Hmm? They're kind-hearted towards other people, towards animals. Um, um, you know, according to Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu of, of Rupa Goswami, who we, we, we revere as one of our founding acharyas, um, and Jiva Goswami, quoting, I think, from maybe the Tantra, some, scratching your necks of cows, giving them fresh fodder. You know, this is a, even a form of bhakti, hmm? like worshipping sacred trees, like the banyan that's included within this. So you have to have domesticated animals to do that. Hmm? So there's a place for it. It's the, it's the beginning, really, of civilization, the meeting of the wild and the humans, where the wild becomes a little human and the humans become a little less wild. Hmm? Hunters and gatherers are more wild than those who take care of animals and till the fields and grow. And, and they're smarter, too. Hmm? The agrarian, you know, the growers, rather than the hunters. So, the animals help them to do that. They help the cow, for example, helps the human to to become less wild. It's, that's the meeting point, as I see it. Because they're out hunting and gathering, or, you know, and the animals are out there also. So there's this meeting point, domestication. Some animals lend themselves to that, and then man is becoming kinder. He's becoming more intelligent and using a bull, for example, to till the field rather than just to have a carcass over the winter and be hungry again, you know, when the spring comes or whatever. So it, it, there's a place for it. And then scratching the necks, you know, so, as he said. So um, we have a big place for that. And we are devotees. We are compassionate towards cows, towards suffering people in all conditions. And we do what we can in the context of bhakti to... Um, to serve Krishna and overflow that to help people, we're jivadaya, we're kind to people. Um, in the context of our of our entire world view, and so we as devotees, in particular, 
are the extension of Krishna's compassion. Krishna is compassionate, but because he's completely wrapped up by his devotees, his compassion is directly focused, and that quality in him is drawn upon by his devotees. It's focused on and drawn upon by his devotees. So his whole capacity to be compassionate personally is completely consumed by his devotees, many of whom are in need of progressing in bhakti, who are longing for him and so forth. And so he comes to the world, paritranaya sadhanam, for them. He comes to the world for those sadhakas who can no longer live without him. And they think, oh, he's so compassionate. He came, descended for me. Hmm? And the overflow of that, of course, is that people hear about Krishna. He comes, the, the devotees talk about him, books are written, and so on and so forth. Hmm? And um, so Krishna's con- con- compassion is completely, his whole life is consumed by his devotees. So all of his, his compassion is, is taken up by them. Then they, in turn, become the instruments through which his compassion is extended further, outside of the realm of bhakti, by being kind to people and uh, and sh- sharing bhakti with them, or em- empathizing with, with them, because of having had experience of material suffering themselves, being familiar with it. So God is compassionate to the common people. He does care about them through the medium of his devotees. Mm. That's how his compassion is shared um, in the world. And, uh, and then, therefore, compassion is a, is a secondary quality of bhakti mm, that's experienced in terms of, in relation to the world, or expressed, I say, in relation to the world, through the devotees, not directly through, through Bhagavan. So it's important to please devotees. <laughs> Not to rub them the wrong way, so <laughs> tell them what the philosophy is, so they might know a little bit better. Um, so, that said, because God has knowledge of the suffering, no experience, but knowledge of the suffering in the world, we can say that there is some indirect cause rising from the world for him to express compassion. Hmm? It's an indirect cause. It's not what drives his engine. He's completely consumed by the bhakti, but he, but he has knowledge, and so, therefore, we may reason in some acharya's habit times, therefore there's the world. What does it mean, therefore, is the world? The world is made manifest because if the world is not made manifest, the Tatasta Jiva have no opportunity to attain salvation. They need a body. They need a mind. Hmm. And so the world is manifest. Huh. In his sleep, indirectly. Krishna's not, you know, directly in, in, involved. He, through his Paramatma feature, he is. Hmm. So this is your question. So the Paramatma feature of the God, it is, is the feature of the Godhead that presides over the Maya Shakti and the Tatasta Shakti. Hmm? That's his jurisdiction. Hmm? And so the indirect knowledge 
of people suffering is a little, maybe you might say, a little more influence on him than does on Narayan and Vaikuntha. He's the form to facilitate any desire that Narayan might have to, to bestow mukti. I mean, typically he comes in different avatars and bestows mukti upon devotees. <laughs> so he bestows it upon. That's who he interacts with. See, Krishna has to derive his pleasure from within himself, otherwise he's not Atmaram, he has to go outside of himself. The Swarup Shakti is, is, is like his own self, it's called Swarup Shakti. So he always stays within the orbit of the Swarup Shakti. He, we were talking about the other day, he kills demons or something like that, but that in the context of, of protecting his devotees. He wants to protect the devotees of Braj, therefore he starts, he fights with Jarasandha. So they won't come into Braj. That's what, he's interacting with those people, but only in the context of Bhakti. Anyway, so the Paramatma feature is is more neutral than Bhagawan, who is more partial, because Bhagawan is involved in vilas, in lila, in play with his devotees. So he's partial to them. His, the power of their Love is is such. If you it, typically the paramatma as the object of love, is the object of love for what? For shantarasa or yogis. Yogis, in the highest sense, Ishwar pranidhan. This becomes the focus of their in their yoga. Through yoga, bhakti mixed with yoga, they can attain as high as shantarasa, which is not. Which is Rasa is a form of praying, but it's not interested in Krishna's pastimes. It's not interested in Krishna's qualities. It's just interested in the form of Krishna. Like the Catholics have a term, the beatific vision. I've, I've kind of related these these two to the Catholics, the saints being Shantaras, Bhaktas. They're Bhaktas, right? But they, if you look carefully, you could you could make a case that their experience is what we call. Shantarasa, in our terminology. Hmm. And the Shantarasa is kind of, it's kind of a neutral affair compared to Dasya Bhakti. Hmm. Um, and so Paramatma is kind of neutral. Hmm. Less influenced by the, the partiality that Bhakti is characterized by. Hmm. Ram Bhakti, Krishna Bhakti, Sakya Bhakti, Madhurya Bhakti, Vatsalya Bhakti, the different types of Bhakti. And they have slightly different manifestations of Krishna or the Godhead that correspond with them. And there's this partiality that makes up the world of, of, of Vaikuntha. Hmm? Partial in Sringa, partial to Rama, partial to Krishna. Hmm? Paramatma is more like Overseer, God, and passive, and so passive adoration, passive adoration. Now, when this, this is a feature of Narayan, of course, you can have Shantaras and you would have Shantaras in Vaikuntha. This Narayan manifests as the Paramatma, Mahavishnu, to, as I say, correspond with his desire to give, give mukti. There's always sadhakas in the world. There's two forces in the world. Karma is driving the world, and there's bhakti in the world. It has no beginning. The world has no beginning. 
Karma has no beginning, bhakti has no beginning. So it's always bhakti in the world. Hmm? And so to again bestow bhakti, again he, he, he comes, right? he avatars, he descends. Hmm? But the, um, the Paramatma himself is more kind of neutral hmm? and more in relation to this world than, say, Krishna, for example, in, 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 in Goloka. The knowledge of the suffering of the world, maybe you could say a little more pressing on him, therefore he manifests the world. Hmm? So that the, it's really indirect, isn't it? So he manifests the world. Everybody's thinking, that's the problem, the world. You know? No, it's a solution. There is such a thing as a tatasta jiva. Hmm? It needs a world that it can, you know, uh, be itself, pursue its desires, and have the opportunity for bhakti, and so forth. So, it's uh, that's why it's a beautiful thing. Hmm? He makes the world manifest out of indirect. Vishnu says this in one place in Bhagavatam, in his commentary. I forget the verse, but he makes the world because without the world, the jivas wouldn't have bodies in which they could have the opportunity to pursue bhakti, make a remedy to their situation, and and, uh, and attain salvation, attain mukti. So he's a little more involved with the material condition and remedying it than, than Krishna or even Narayan and Vaikuntha or the Mahavaikuntha of, of Goloka. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you asked about compassion and being impartial. Hmm. He's impartial in, in 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 the way that I'm saying that he tends, as much as his attention is 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 taken in any way by indirect knowledge of the suffering of the jivas and arranging a situation to 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 required to remedy it. Hmm. He's impartial in that it's for everybody. It's not one over another. It's for everybody, the whole world, for all the jivas. Hmm. Impartial in that way, um, in all conditions, and, and he's in everyone's heart, witnessing. You want to do that? Okay, we do that. Hmm? You go there. He goes. With, he goes with everywhere. You have a desire. He sanctions. It happens. He 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 impartially steps back for karma. Karma has its place. My shakti has its place. Hands off. Hmm? Impartial. He's just, in other words. Okay, the jiva's taken from the more environment, the environment wants to get back. He's not going to interfere, he's just. Hmm. But then in the form of the avatar, hmm, there's some... Well, through the devotees, I should say. There's the bestowing, there's bhakti, and, and there's mercy. So he's just and he's merciful, both, at the same time. But... Um, because the Paramatma is closer to the world, he manifests the world and so forth, you can say that he is more, the manifestation of divinity that's more influenced by indirect knowledge of the suffering. He's not experiencing the suffering, but indirect knowledge of it and seeks to bring about a remedy more driven by that. It's not like Paramatma is, you know, having all these fantastic uh, pastimes with, uh, with Prema Madhurya, Lila Madhurya. It's like, completely consume him. He's, he's, he's presiding over the material world, is what goes on, and so on and so forth. So, um, this is how he's both more 
related to the world and kind of driven by compassion to some extent, but impartial at the same time. Whoa. <laughs> yes? Um, so I was you know, thinking about how um, Krishna takes the place of Paramatma in Asakti. So Krishna comes for his devotees. So we get a lot of meaning precipitation in the very beginning of our bhakti um, and synchronicities and so many things that we attribute to Krishna. We say, oh, this is Krishna's mercy or Krishna answering our prayers. Or, so is that Krishna or is it bhakti that's reciprocating in those early... It's Krishna. It's Krishna. Okay, so Krishna, that's who you're talking to. That's who you're asking. He has that capacity. Is the point made by he can He is omniscient, even though he is absorbed and you know, lost in the forgetfulness of his godhood in a leela. Hmm? At the same time, he didn't lose his position as God. And if the prayers of his sadhakas are sincere enough, they can get his attention. Hmm? They can draw on his omniscient capacity. Hmm? And, and, and he, he hears the prayer. Now, I've raised the question in my Shikshastika. Did you read it? That what kind of sadhaka is that can you know can mm-hmm. get Krishna's attention? Just to emphasize the idea that we should be serious sadhakas if we expect to get Krishna's attention. But theoretically, yes, and it's good to think like that. Not that you think that I'm I'm praying to the Paramatma feature. I said this the other night. It's the same thing. We don't you know we don't meditate on the the world as described in the fifth canto as a meditation on God. We don't tend to be preoccupied with the Virata Rupa, but with Bhagwan, and not with Narayan or Paramatma, but with Radha and Madhava, Jaitanya Mahaprabhu. My question was about prayer. So, just generally people pray, are they praying to Paramatma? If a serious thought is praying, their prayers go to Krishna. They're praying. Who's in your heart? Paramatma or Krishna? Krishna. Then who are you going to pray to? It's Krishna. Yam Shama Sundaram. That's into the Nasarupa. But like a, a Christian, that's it. Like, oh, 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 an ordinary what, yeah. another person who. Um, their prayers just go to Jesus. Yeah, I guess if they pray to Jesus, that's where they go, wherever he is, whatever his conception is, and they become part of that. Um, I mean, we have very specific ideas about God, but the whole theory of his emotional life, and the Srupa Shakti, as I mentioned, Rasa, and so forth, so it's very specific, and specificity is is very much, a, would seem a requirement for loving. The more you know about someone, the more the specifics, and that they're all beautiful, the more that to be lovable. So, um, in a, there may be other traditions where the concept of God is strong, but more general, more vague, and, uh, and that, from our perspective, then that would be moving more towards a, a paramatma manifestation of a divinity, the, the Lord of the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without much to say about, you know what's beyond it, so to speak. You had a question, too? 
When we talk about, uh, you mentioned the yogis and their their involvement, and you mentioned Baba. They had Baba. Uh, so, first of all, just a general, give some general indication of what kind of taste is there in passive adoration, wonder, uh, you know, and also if you give some indication, well, if we, you've explained to us that Bhava drives the, the, the Siddha Deha, our, our feelings of love come out in a, in a physical, well, not physical, but a spiritual form. What kind of spiritual form would Siddha Deha give us? I mean, would Santa Chantaraj, yeah. give to somebody who has simply that? Yeah. Well, what there's no service even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Therefore, there are people in Vaikuntha meditating. They have forms of rishis. Neither those meditate. The uh, you know the Rupa Goswami uh, in Bhaktivedanta Sindhu gives the Anubhavs, the Sattvika Bhavs, Sanchari Bhavs of Shantarasa, all in relation to the Paramatma. Hmm? So we give you for for reference there, and the basic qualities of Shantarasa are two: complete detachment, so there's no material desire, and some attachment to Bhagavan, but. Stop there. Hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 there's no desire to serve, move. So it's it's really kind of like played down. It's the one rasa, from the Gaudi perspective, it's the one rasa that through association you can change. You can you can come from Shanta rasa to Dasya rasa if you have that kind of association or the Sakya rasa. Whereas if you're in Sakurasa, you know, it's you know, not going to change. Uh, so, it's a neutral. <laughs> I don't know about Vaikuntha. I wouldn't say that people change there, but um, but uh, it's specifically mentioned by Rupa Goswami. Whereas it's not mentioned in that way in relation to the other the other rasas changing. Hmm. Um, so I would imagine when we think of it relative to here by association, he he uh, he, he kind of goes up the scale, something like that. But yeah, it's a, it's it's very kind of foreign to us, isn't it? As we it, it shows how you think you've been influenced by by Rag Bhakti and Shantaras is kind of weird. How does it fit in? You know, kind of a thing. But yeah, there's some people that in Bhakti they they just meditate. It's a real interesting place. I mean, there's all kinds of different possibilities there. There are people there who go there because they they have desires, and they end up desiring instead of material things to have a body, like Narayan, instead of to have Prem or Narayan. So they're driven by that. These are the perks of. They're driven by that. So. The, it's a it's a mixed you know kind of form of bhakti, and they arrive at a certain status in Vaikuntha, but they're different than those who are driven by prem, and the other the perks if you will the same body sarupya saloka samar samipya sharsti are like secondary. 
it said they have some interest in those things for service. But their 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 bhakti is is driven by prem. So, so yeah, it's 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 it's, it's an easier place to attain in one sense, and there's other different possibilities. But if you've been touched by Mahaprabhu, then it's, it's difficult to relate to that. I told some of you may have heard long ago when I was young in uh, New Dwarka, and, and I was a young devotee. One fellow came up to me, an older devotee, and said, you know, I don't know what drove him to say this, but he said, you know, very few people go to Goloka. Everybody goes to, most people go to Baikuntha. It's very rare, you know, to go to Goloka. It's like, Merle is telling me, you know, just get used to it, you're probably going to Baikuntha. <laughs> and I couldn't, I cried when I heard that. And then when I understood the deity, Rukmini, Dwarka, Vicious, Prabhupada, calling I couldn't accept it. I couldn't accept it. So that would be my... Destination. <laughs> so, it's a good spirit to have. But that's what Mahaprabhu, that's the influence of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Arvira Parampara. So, if you have that kind of association, you, you, you can suddenly you find, hey, look, I have this Ragmarg orientation. I didn't even, people saying, you better get going on the Ragmarg, you know, this, 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 you don't know much about it, and so forth. You look carefully and you can see, actually, you've already been influenced by that. You have, this is your. You know, some details you don't know, but that you're already oriented there. Everything's okay. You have a good guide in the Gaudi Guru Parampara. These things are being coming into the heart, so forth. Due course of time, interest will come appropriate to your eligibility to incorporate certain practices and so forth. You can get a head full of information and then try to jump. And according to Bhakti Mode, and jump and, and, and fall on your butt. Mm. Mm. So, like I said, okay, you want a mango? Here's a, here's a, here's a shovel. <laughs> Try that. You know what are you talking about? I want a mango. Dig, dig with a shovel. <laughs> Come back tomorrow when you fit dig the hole. You know, then you give him a seed. What? You know, okay. Next day, buried it now. But you just told me to dig a hole. Now you're telling me to fill it up. What? You know. Bogus guru. I'm not going to go get a mango. Hmm. So, you know, you have to do all those things. Grow the genius, take time. So forth. Yes? Um, do you think all the Christian mystics are in the Chanta? I don't know enough about them to, uh, but I, I would, uh, my guess is that they're very, uh, they're very much renounced like the Desert Fathers, even you take like these uh, St. John of the Cross, Teresa of the Villa and so forth, which sometimes people try to theologize and make a connection with their orientation and the Madhurya Rasa of, mm-hmm. of Bhakti, but I, it really doesn't um, play out that well as far as I can say for the little bit I know about it. I mean, for example, the Teresa of the Villa, you know, they, they were like the bride the brides of Christ. Bhakti Siddhanta Kamata says you can't have be a bride of the Guru. Mm. Christ is the Guru. Who's sacrificing for God the Father. So he he didn't see it to be. Now Bhakti Vinod was, was uh, talked sometime more broadly with his preaching strategy, more generously about Christianity. We find this in Christianity. We find the brotherly love in Christianity, you know. 
but, but I think he said, no, not, but not Madhuri Ras, Mahaprabhu bring that, something like that. It seems like St. Teresa and Lisa was more in Dasya, Rasa, and she just wanted to serve, and she said, let my heaven be on earth. She said, I don't want to go to heaven and just relax and enjoy. Oh, then it may be, may be the case. There. I'd rather stay here where I can serve. Sounds like a Dasya, Bhakti, Bhakta. Yeah, I said, I don't know much enough about that. I was raised as a Catholic, but my confirmation name was Francis. Pick, oh, at 12, you pick a name, you're supposed to have those saints. So I like the St. Francis. <laughs> yeah. This is just a different topic, but um, I don't know if you... Have you ever read Eric Fromm's The Art of Love? Um, I never read... I've read parts of it. Yeah, because he... I'm pretty sure it's in this book where he um, goes, he, he, he categorizes love in different ways and I, I couldn't quite get where he was going with it. But one thing that stood out is he had a whole chapter, he went on at length about brotherly love, how it's lacking in society and mm. the friendship of two males is really important and it should be, uh, it's been lost in society and it's a, it, has created, he's described what kind of problems it creates in society. He was like focused on this, like a whole chapter and a half about it. And he keeps bringing it up in the book. And it just was, I thought he'd be interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we all want to change the world. And all you need is love. Mm -hmm. But what is it? <laughs> That's a big, uh, big question, right? Everybody has an idea of what love is, but maybe it's not. Hmm. Yes. Um, yesterday, you said that a way is a way can avoid falsities or side of Ah, you're talking too fast. Sorry. Couldn't understand you. Yesterday, you mentioned ways to avoid falsities. Hmm. You mentioned side sangha, listening, your guru. And that wrong conceptions foster wrong practice. So what can we do for people in our sangha, um, or even other devotees, to help them get out of that? Well, you could bring Balaram to the temple at night. Well, <laughs> oh, he needs help. I'm going to get yelled at when I get home for that. <laughs> um, I'll give you your number. <laughs> How do we... How can you do that? Um, how can you help them to avoid uh, misunderstandings? And if you see them doing something that you know is going to greatly harm their bhakti. Well, you know, it depends. Preaching is an art, so you have to understand people. and It might be one thing for one person, one thing for another person. It might be best thing just to leave somebody alone, mm -hmm. not do anything. That might be the best thing you can do. If you realize, you see that, and you realize, just let them go, and then because because they, you know, sometimes people leave a mission, and then they say, oh, you know, so and so left, and have you been in touch with them, Guru Maharaj? I said, no, I don't think he wants to be in touch, you know. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if I go try to get in touch with them, it's just that's not going to mean it's going to, you know, push he or she away or something. So, I, you know, they have to give people their rope and their time and. And so forth. So sometimes 
even with talking with people, you might want to tell them about Krishna and just realize, well, better I just listen to them, they just want to talk and and he's not interested and so he's just nice to them and they go and who's really nice guy, that guy. That's good for them if you're actually a devotee. Mm-hmm. So it's it, you know, and then there may be situations where you, you know there was here. I'll give you another example on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, tells the story of how he was uh, Bhakti Siddhanta was up in his room and down at the gate there was one brahmachari who was leaving, you know, the mission, and another brahmachari grabbed the gate here and here, with him in between, was holding it like this and preaching to him. Wouldn't let him go. Bhaktisiddhanta then said, bring that guy up and gave him sannyasa. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there may be a place for that too, but it, it, it's an art to understand that. And and, and um, you, you have to see how you're going to have a positive influence, even a little positive influence. Sometimes, as I say, you can have the best positive influence by by saying nothing, or and, and, and sometimes you have to, you can say a lot and have a good influence. So it's it's hard to give an answer to you know to all circumstances. I can't, but um, you know it's good that you have that desire naturally. So you you can try it and you can learn trial and error and, and see how you're effective and and uh, at times you may not be. Effective and learn from that. I, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good uh, preacher type person, <laughs> but I, you know, learned a lot from listening to people going out and saying the wrong things. You know, that didn't work, and I had to go back and think about it. And you know, my days of selling books and so forth. So, it takes practice. It's an art. Mm. But to have the desire to help devotees and. You know, I've said before it's important, it's good. It's, I've said before, you know, use the term teachable moment, you kind of got to look for it or create a teachable moment. Um, and, and when you see it, then you know, okay, there's my opening. I go through that window right there and come back out. But if you don't have a teachable window or moment, then it's best probably just to, as I say, wait for one, try to orchestrate one. Hmm? So, all right. Shri Sri Gaur Adamadavati Jai. Bhakti Vrindaki Jai. Bhakti Vrindaki Jai.